This is Oklahoma football. All right, we are back. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Mainline Podcast on this play-in game Thursday edition of the Mainline Podcast here. March Madness is back in full effect. Tyler Burton, Adam Jacquez, and Corbin Polson. The gang is all here tonight, and we have got a great show uh, in tune for you guys as we uh, get lined up and ready to go for the NCAA tournament that is kicking off. Uh, first thing tomorrow, we've got playing games going on, of course, right now, highlighted by a pretty good one to get the tournament underway. Drake just knocked off Michigan State, or excuse me, Wichita State, 53 to 52, uh, in what was a pretty, pretty good, uh, pretty good basketball game to kick the NCAA tournament off for for 2021. So, but Adam Corbin, what's going on, guys? It's March Madness time. Yeah, before we get into all the basketball talk, shout out to baseball, knocking off number one in the nation there in Fayetteville. Uh, And Friday night, I know it's COVID and everything, but still a sellout for the opener against Houston in Norman. Uh, I'm, I'm starting to feel a little more confident in baseball, so shout out to them. I drove by the baseball game that was happening this past Saturday, and it was awesome to see the people that were in the outfield in the lawn chairs. There was even a couple couches out there all the way from the left field uh, uh, pole all the way to the right field. It was packed, so good to see uh, the fans and the students you know, getting involved because uh, this baseball team deserves it. Especially, uh, it'll be fun to see what this team uh, is going to do for the rest of the season after a big-time win on the road in Fayetteville. Yeah, guys, I've got uh, a whiskey in hand. I've got the day off tomorrow so I can just sit back and watch the tournament all day. Uh, I'm in a great mood. It's going to be a fun pod. Corbin, I know this is your favorite time of the year. I mean, it it is ours as well. But just uh, over under 12 and a half number of brackets you filled out over the course of the last four or five days. I got two. Just two? Yeah, I'll adjust mine a little bit. Um, Tyler, as you know, I have a longstanding history of performing well in, uh, in, in bracket groups. Uh, shout out to Apot for you know not ever beating me, but oh, uh, besides that, yeah, I, I I'm pretty short and sweet with this. I'll have one bracket that I really put into all the groups, and we'll ride or die with it. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I, I used to be one of those guys that I would fill out ten to fifteen, hang them on the wall, and just kind of track them. Uh, but I just yeah. filled out one this year. We'll see if maybe change it up a little bit um, before tomorrow's first game gets going. I've got a playing team tonight that hopefully is going to be making it at the first through the first couple rounds. Uh, the NCAA tournament. We'll get to that here in just a little bit. But like we said, before we talk about some March Madness, preview the OU Missouri game, maybe OU Gonzaga. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, some big news going on in, in Norman across OU athletics. Starting out, guys, uh, with Sherry Cole coming out yesterday morning. Kind of a surprising announcement that, you know, we've kind of been talking about it, uh, especially over the last year or two. You know, what what's going to happen? When's the day going to come? Is she going to is she going to step down? Is she going to retire? What's that going to look like? And then didn't take long after OU women's basketball, the, their fate was decided. They did not make the NCAA tournament this year. Sherry resigned. So, guys, just kind of what were some of your initial thoughts um, after hearing Sherry Cole retired after an incredible run uh, as a women's basketball coach here in Norman? I think it was interesting just to hear the perspective on the total picture. Um, you know, I wasn't really aware of what was going on back in 96 and 97 when she first came on board and where the program was at that point, how she turned it around. So um, fans that are older than us can really appreciate what she did, especially early on in her career. And I caught on pretty quick, you know, when Stacey Dales and Courtney Paris uh, were in town. Um, But I think the the last probably six, seven years or so are what stand out the most to me. Um, So, I mean, it was about time. um, But overall, um, I think she did some really great things for the university. Yeah, couldn't have said any better. I think um, hopefully she stays on within the athletic department in some sort of role because I think she has a huge impact not only for OU athletics, but the city of Norman and the state of Oklahoma. Hopefully we're at the point now that, you know, we're moving on from her being the head coach so we can start to appreciate what she's done because certainly the the talent on the court and the, the winning percentages over the past few years haven't necessarily been great. Um, and she, you know, in a sense kind of dug herself, you know, her own grave as far as like having so much success early on that it was almost impossible to live up to. Um, we've seen OU coaches do that time and time again. So um, wish her the best excited for what's to come and, and we'll see what happens with the women's basketball program. 
Yeah, I couldn't have said it any better than what you two guys just did. I mean, we, we've all been guilty um, looking back over what's happened the last two to three years. The women's basketball program, you know, obviously um, hasn't performed quite up to the standards, especially what we saw um, in the early years of Sherry Cole. But after seeing the announcement and, and watching her press conference, kind of, kind of talking about her time here in Norman, you really kind of had to take a step back and look at it from, you know, a 30,000 foot view of what she did from the time she got here in Norman. Uh, all the way up until 2021, where, you know, she she saved the program, uh, the, the women's basketball program here in Norman. And we all know about the Final Four appearances, the incredible players that she's had uh, put play on her teams. You know, Stacey Dales, the Paris Twins. Uh, it, it's been a fantastic career. And we obviously obviously uh, want to wish Coach Cole, you know, all the best, you know, and whatever happens next for her, whether that's, you know, staying at home, enjoying being retired. Would love to see her maybe in a role in, you know, TV broadcasting, maybe in the studio. Uh, if anybody listens to any of her interviews, whenever she's got the microphone at a press conference, she's spectacular, great analysis. She loves the game of basketball. Um, so obviously we'll be cheering for her, for her, uh, in whatever venture, you know, comes up next for her. But guys, obviously we've got spring football coming up here starting next week. There was some news that came out today. Um, OU released the spring football, uh, roster. Uh, we'll kind of break down a couple of the things that kind of came to our eye. Uh, but uh, honestly, Corbin, we'll kind of start with you looking at the uh, not a jet depth chart, but when you see the spring roster come out that uh, Mike Alk and the communication staff put out today, was there anything that kind of jumped off the page? Uh, just kind of looking at um, whether it's, you know, changes in weight, guys filling out their bodies, um, just kind of what was some of the things that caught your eye? Yeah, I think Redmond putting on about 20 pounds since uh, the Peach Bowl back in technically 2020. Uh, that's significant, putting on that type of weight. And I think Jordan Mukes being listed at six one was weird. Um, we've been, you know, heard and seen that he's six three, six four through and through. So, um, you know, nothing too crazy there. But those were probably two that stuck out for me as far as actual guys, you know, and what their weights and measurements were that stuck out. But outside of that, guys, we know this is the time of year where it's basketball focused, but you get a, that little taste of football, and we're getting real close. And uh, yeah, summer and, and fall will be here before we know it. Yeah, I used to be the type that would always look up and down the roster every time we got a new one. You know, who's bigger, who's looking stronger, whatever, whatever. Um, I don't know how much stock to put in that anymore because I never, when, you know, the games actually happen in the fall, come back and say, oh, yeah, we knew that guy was, you know, 10 pounds heavier. So therefore, now he's good. So, but it is fun exercise to go through and just take a look at. Um, I still feel like Jordan Mukes, his height could be certainly wrong, but even at six one, he's probably the second tallest safety that we have next to Justin Harrington. So that's still a huge improvement over some of the guys that we've had in the past. I think one of the biggest reasons why I paid a little bit more closer attention and kind of dove into the numbers a little bit more is because of the fact that we didn't have a spring football last year. So we kind of missed out on a chance to to talk about that. So obviously when that roster came out today, there were kind of a few, a couple things that kind of popped out uh, to, to me. And first and foremost, it was all three of the the five-star wide receivers that were part of that 2029 or that 2019 class, Theo Weiss, Trajan Bridges, and Jaden Hazelwood. All of those guys are up at least, you know, five, 10 pounds. So those guys putting on some size, um, obviously that, that's going to be a big thing going into next year. You know, those are, um, that was something that when Lincoln Riley talked to the media today, he stressed the importance of getting more out of the wide receiver position group going into 2021. So seeing those guys, Finally being able to have a full spring under their belt, putting on the weight, getting after it in the weight room. I think that that's going to bode well going into the fall. And then next for me, guys, it's, you know, it's it's right on brand with with, with the weight change also. Uh, but it's looking at what the offensive line group has done as a whole. Outside Eric Swenson, who stayed kind of right around that 325, 327 weight. You look at the other four to five key contributors that are expected to be uh, on Bill Beanbow's offensive line. Tyrese Robinson down nine pounds. Anton Harrison lost 17 pounds. Marquise, Marquise Hayes, 14. Chris Murray lost 18 pounds all the way down to 279. So that's a pretty significant drop from a guy that, you know, many fans uh, and, you know, even, you know, analysts have expected this guy to be the starting center next year. And then obviously Andrew Rame coming into his sophomore season, he he's down 16 pounds to 304. So uh, it, it's, it's definitely encouraging seeing these guys uh, as a group taking this offseason seriously, transforming their bodies, because guys, we talked about it when we were kind of, you know, towards the end of last season, 
it kind of seemed like it took the offensive line four, five, six games to kind of, you know, get, get their bearings, kind of gel together. We talked about how a couple of them, you know, looked a little bit sluggish, maybe carrying some bad weight. So seeing what Benny Wiley and his team have done, you know, over the past two, three months, kind of trimming those guys down a little bit, like we said with the receivers, you know, it's it, it bodes well, and hopefully they can keep that up uh, going into this upcoming fall. So, um Guys, uh, like we said, had a chance to talk to Lincoln Riley today. He spoke about everything from, you know, the COVID vaccine, what spring practice is going to look like, maybe some expectations from a couple different position groups. Obviously, we'll touch on that a little bit more um, next week when we do our, you know, spring football preview edition. But, Adam, was there really anything that that Lincoln kind of talked about today or was it just, you know, kind of what you expected pretty bland? Uh, I mean, it's kind of what we've come to expect from Lincoln. Uh, Not too many interesting things. I think just the biggest storyline is, you know, what are they able to get done this spring? Uh, It seems like COVID is starting to become a rearview mirror uh, issue, which is great news. Um, There's still some work to be done there, but um, I'm hopeful that that can continue to open up the doors and they're able to get more and more done, um, whether that's on the field, weight room, whatever it might be. Um, But overall, yeah, not a whole lot to take away from what he uh, said. Great. Well, I think that's a perfect transition. It is March Madness time, so let's dive into the meat of the podcast episode tonight, uh, and that's the NCAA tournament starting right here and with the team here in Norman, Oklahoma, OU versus Missouri, coming up 625 Central Standard Time on Saturday, kind of an old Big 12, Big 8 matchup that we got so accustomed to seeing year in and year out uh, here in the conference. So, Corbin, looking at these two teams, very, very similar, both in their makeup and their performance You know, throughout the season. Both teams started out hot kind of, you know, tripped themselves up, kind of fell off a little bit more towards the end of the year. So when you look at both of these two teams, you know, what, you know, what's, what's it going to take on Saturday for OU to, to come out with a win? I have no idea, no clue what's going to happen with this game. Um, because you literally, according to the NCAA rankings, the tournament committee, this is the 32nd team and the 33rd team. This is as even of a matchup as they think is possible. And you look at not only the makeup of the team, but the makeup of what has happened with both of their seasons, it is almost identical. Missouri went up to number 10 midway through the year, and down the stretch they've lost three out of their last uh, nine games. And so you just wonder which team is going to show up at the right time at the right place. Um, you know, some stats that I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of keeping an eye on. They Missouri averages just under 74 points a game. The two guards of, of Smith and Pinson leading their scoring um, with just over 14 points a game for each of them. And I really think the key factor may be the Jeremiah uh, Tillman. Uh, he's, he's a big guy. I think he's probably going to be matched up with Brady Manning. He averages about 12 points and seven boards a game. I think he's a pretty athletic big. Um, but guys, without Damian Harmon, I thought this game was a toss-up before that news. Um, without him, I, I don't love this matchup. Anytime you lose your second leading scorer, uh, that's never a good thing. Um, but you hope Brady has scored – more efficiently down the stretch the past couple games. You hope that continues. And if it doesn't, guys, I think it's probably a one and done for the Sooners. I saw a stat earlier today, and I can't remember the exact numbers, but uh, we do have a winning record when missing, uh, you know, some of our players off the team. I think it was five and three. Uh, And so Harmon's not a guy that you want to lose, but I am interested to see if that maybe can spark some momentum before the game happens. Um, not that you should need something to increase your effort or, 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 you know, willpower to win in a tournament situation, but maybe it's something that helps push them over the edge, at least in this particular matchup. Don't even try to think about who you might play on Monday if you get there, but just try to have a respectable uh, performance against Missouri. And everything that you said, Corbin, it's very similar. I looked at Missouri and I thought, wow, this, this team's done some things. They beat Bama. They beat... Uh, Oregon, Oral Roberts, Tennessee, Illinois, and then the Mammoth Liberty, all those tournament tournament, tournament teams. And so, um, but I think if you flip it around the other side, they're probably looking at us going, oh, OU, they beat Texas, KU, Bama. You know, they've beaten some good teams too. So it is, it's your typical 8-9 matchup. It's so much of a toss-up. When, when I dove into Missouri, kind of looking a little bit at, you know, their results from this, you know, this current season and some of the players that they've got on campus right now, I mean, you know, Adam, you hit the nail on the head. They started out 5-0, and five wins against five teams that are all going to be playing in this tournament, you know, especially, you know, highlighted against a win against the number one seed, Illinois, 
uh, in the fifth game of the year. So obviously, when when the news came out about losing Damian or Devion Harmon, that, that's that's a huge blow for this team that was already you know stylistically and with the quality of guys that we have on the roster pretty neck and neck as far as you know our team compared to to what Missouri is going to be coming out with. So I thought. Looking at these two teams, an advantage that OU was going to be able to have when OU's playing their best basketball, um, whenever they've been playing their best basketball over the course of the year, it's been uh, it's been really good defense leading to transition opportunities. So that's a huge blow when when talking about losing Devion Harmon because outside of maybe Austin Reeves, Devion Harmon has been your best player. Uh, in transition in terms of scoring the basketball. So losing a guy like Devion Harmon, that's going to force some other guys to step up um, in the lineup. We'll be interested to see what Coach Kruger does in the starting lineup, losing Harmon, um, bringing a guy like, you know, Moja Gibson off the bench that, you know, can can lead to some more scoring uh, opportunities. And one of the things that I'm going to be interested to watch, Corbin, is what's Austin Reeves going to do in this scenario? When you lose your second leading scorer in Davion Harmon is – is Austin Reeves going to feel like, you know, I've got to, that's even more pressure on me. I've got to continue to score the basketball, take more shots. Or does he do what we've been, you know, stressing and hoping that he would continue to do for a full 40 minutes, continuing to trust his teammates, continue to get everybody involved? Um, because I think that it's going to take a full team effort to knock off Missouri, uh, a team that's been playing pretty good basketball for, uh, you know, a large portion of the season. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens because down the stretch, especially down the stretch, second half of the season, the ball's been in Reeves' hands late. The last five to six minutes of the game, it is Austin or it is nobody else. Um, and so now you take away the second leading scorer from that roster. I'm pretty confused about, you know, how that takes place. Does, does Austin just take the last 10 minutes and the ball's in his hand the entire time? I have no idea what to what to think of that. So the the problem with that is is, is there's been success there. When Austin has done that and he's taken over the game late, they've won games. They've won big games. They beat the SEC champion. Uh, well, Austin may have been out that game, but they've won big games down the stretch where Austin's taken over the games late and they've lost games down the stretch where Austin has taken over the games late. So I don't know I don't know what to expect from that, but if there's one thing we we do know that is that is coming without a doubt is if this game is anywhere close down the stretch and we think it's going to be, Austin Reeves is going to have the ball in his hands and it's going to be up to him to win or lose this ball game. And call me crazy, but I actually do think if they beat Missouri, they probably play Gonzaga decently well. I mean, you talk about a zero pressure game. No one's expecting them to win. Most people probably expect them to lose by 20 or 30 points to Gonzaga. My gut says they probably give Gonzaga a fight and, and just kind of like play with nothing on their shoulders. As Adam mentioned before, like that, that natural bring together the team play for somebody who's not there that can pay dividends in a tournament like this, just a, a rally cry, if you will, for Harmon not being able to play in the NCAA tournament that can bring a team together in a situation like this that can pay dividends. So don't be surprised if OU finds a way to beat Missouri. Don't be surprised if they play Gonzaga close. I don't think they're going to win, but watch them hang in there for a little bit. Well, and, and especially in tournament format where one loss and you're out, I mean, anything can happen. That's the beauty of March Madness. We see it happen every single year. Uh, pertaining specifically to OU Missouri, you talked about Austin Reeves and what kind of ball is he going to be playing You know, on, on Saturday night. For, for me, I'm going to be really interested tuning into the first five to ten minutes of this basketball game. And the, the reason why I say that is because I think Austin Reeves is going to come out and he's going to try to get everybody involved. He's going to try to get Brady Manick going. Uh, can, you know, Emoji Gibson knock down a couple threes. If if the supporting cast can shoot the basketball really well, I think that, you know, that's going to allow Austin Reeves to continue to distribute the basketball, play a little bit less hero ball. But on the flip side of it, if we start out the game really, really slow, nobody else is making shots, then you're going to find yourself in a situation where, Austin Reeves, he is going to take over and try to do maybe a little bit too much. Now, if he's on, fantastic. I want him shooting the ball more than anybody. I think he is going to be the best player on the floor for both teams on Saturday. But what's going to happen, especially down the stretch, where we know these two teams are extremely similar, what what are we going to get from Austin Reeves, you know, those last four minutes? So, Adam, one thing that I do want to kind of throw over to you, 
when when looking at the lineup that that Missouri's going to throw out there, obviously the thing that stands out to me not just the guard play. You know, they got two upperclassmen guards that lead the way for them in scoring, but it starts with Jeremiah Tillman, a six ten you know senior forward. He's more of a traditional five guy. He can you know he he spends most of his time down there on the block. We we all know about the struggle that Brady Manick, who is going to be asked to play the five now, especially not having Devion Harmon in the lineup, he's going to be forced to spend some more minutes down there in the paint. He's had some he's had some struggles over the last two to three weeks guarding you know big guys you know we we also what happened with Texas with Oklahoma State taking advantage uh, of OU's lack of size in the paint so um, if Brady Mannix not hitting shots you know give a guy like Kirkway some minutes see what he can do but I'll definitely be interested to see how OU uh, guards the paint and you got you got to rebound the basketball so if they're not able to do any of those things it's going to be a long night it's going to be a quick exit for OU on Saturday yeah I look at a guy like uh, Jeremiah Tillman and 6'10 255 pounds he's got 20 pounds on Brady Manick and believe it or not he's got 30 pounds on Kirk Quath and so I, I know he looks bigger than Manick he might be stronger he's definitely got some more length but I feel like both those guys are going to get pushed around by uh, you know a guy like Jeremiah Tillman and so that gives me a ton of concern, even though he's a guy that only averages 12 and seven every game. He certainly has the the potential to go much bigger than that. He's had a game this year where he scored 33 points. So um, that gives me a lot of concern. I will say his big weakness is he's about a 55% free throw uh, shooter. So we haven't seen it all year. And I think shout out to Elijah Harkless for being just an incredible, you know, glue defender for the entire team that we really haven't had to go into like a hack a shack type of strategy but i'm curious if maybe that comes into play if tillman becomes a guy that's unstoppable if you throw a victor or, you know a walk out there just to just to foul him and uh and maybe you take your odds that way yeah guys i uh i've texted you guys this all the time rebounding 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 that is the biggest x factor this entire team i know people can't see us but you guys are both shaking your heads since big 12 play started when we lose the rebounding advantage, we are three and seven. And when we win it, we're seven and two. I mean, there's not a more cut and dry stat that I found about this team when it comes to rebounding. Um, so I think that's a huge factor. And that's not a great matchup to win that uh, the rebounding advantage in this game. So I'm with you, Tyler. I think that's going to be key. And this is kind of just a like an, an open discussion question that I'll just kind of throw out there and you guys kind of give me your thoughts. But obviously... When you lose your your shooting guard, you lose Harmon, you know, second leading scorer throughout the entire season. If you're Lon Kruger, and Corbin, we'll start with you on this. Is there any changes to the game plan that you make? Is there something that you just want to start out like we want to get Brady Manick involved? You know, let's see what what Austin Reeves is doing. You know, can we get a guy like Emoja Gibson? Can we get him going from behind the three point line? Is there anything that you think Coach Kruger? Uh, and the coaching staff will do not only to kind of make up for the loss of Harmon, but this is what we think is going to be our best chance to win. And we're going to start, you know, come right out of the gate, you know, guns blazing. You know, hard to tell. I mean, a guy like Coach Kruger, who's been around for so long, um, the foundation of the team is not going to change because the guy exits. I think where this does actually play, I won't say necessarily to an advantage for this team, but it's not as big of a loss as normal years because this team has dealt with COVID-related issues before. I mean, specifically the Alabama game, they had at least two guys out that I remember, maybe more. Um, so this isn't something that is just going to completely blindside this team. It's not that, you know, they haven't dealt with this before. And honestly, you could look back and probably say that win over Alabama when we had guys out may have been the best game this team has played all year long. Um, so I think you, you use the adversity as, as a rally cry, get everybody to step up, play for the member that's not there. Um, but as far as the foundation and the X's and O's of what this team's makeup is, I don't see that changing a whole lot. You got to kind of play within yourself. It's not time for drastic changes at this point in the season. Yeah. I mean, for me, I want to see a guy like Elijah Harkless take some of that ball handling responsibility out of the hands of, of Austin Reeves, especially early in the in the game, just so that Reeves becomes fresh, you know, still at the end of the game. And, and also a guy like Alonis Williams, who's probably going to slide into the starting lineup. I don't necessarily want him doing a ton of ball handling because he's, he's more of a ball stopper. Uh, he's not really going to get a ton of assists, but he's a bigger guard too. I, I wouldn't mind seeing him get the ball in the post and, and make a couple of moves, body up some guys and, and see what he can do down low, especially if you can pull Tillman out to the three point line guarding a Brady Manic, for example, 
Um, I think that could be uh, an area where we could see some success and, and getting some of those other guys involved early so that Reeves doesn't feel as much pressure uh, when we get to the end of the game. Last thing to put a bow on this, then we'll kind of touch on the entire bracket. Uh, for, for me, there, there's one thing that to me is going to go a long way in deciding whether or not OU is going to win this game. Not having Devion Harmon, your second leading scorer, a guy that can, can create his own shot on the offensive end, you've got to figure out a way to get easy buckets. And for me, that starts on the defensive end. Elijah Harkless, you know, he's probably the best defender in the Big 12, I think. Um, but you've, you know, ramp up the intensity on defense, speed up the pace, make Missouri play a little bit faster than they want to, create some turnovers, get some easy buckets in transition, because that's going to go a long way in, you know, keeping you in the game and ultimately, you know, hopefully putting OU over the top at the very end. So, um, before we touch, before we go across all four regions, Corbin, you had one more thing I saw in the script that you wanted to touch on. Uh, what you got? Yeah, super curious to get your thoughts on this, guys, because. In normal years, every team is playing in some sort of basketball arena before you get to the Final Four and you're playing in a football stadium. And it's no shocker to anybody that once teams get into a football stadium, the depth perception of the basket starts to decrease the amount of scoring that happens every single game. So let's take a quick look at where everybody's playing the uh, different courts that are available for all the um, teams in Indianapolis. So you're going to have two courts inside Lucas Oil Stadium which is obviously where the Colts play. You've got Hinkle Fieldhouse, which is where Butler plays, Bankers Life Fieldhouse, Pacers, Assembly Hall, uh, University of Indiana, and then Mackey Arena, which is Purdue. What's strange about this bracket, guys, and the way things have been set up in Indianapolis is that teams are going to be playing inside Lucas Oil Stadium before the Final Four. And I can't help but to wonder the teams that advance that have played inside Lucas Oil Stadium, and let's say they get to the, the final four spot, does that give them an advantage of being used to playing in that type of environment, used to playing with those rims, with the difference as far as depth perception goes? That's something we've never had to discuss before. And so I'm really curious to see both of your thoughts there, because I think that matters. Um, we've seen it time and time again where teams that, you know, go into that arena that they're slow to start scoring. It's, it's a different type of environment, a different type of way to shoot the basketball. Um, and I wonder with the setup over the next couple of weeks, does that play into how far a team can go in the tournament? And I kind of think it does. I would say, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but we don't know where OU would even play the second game if they were to win Saturday night. So I, I think it's going to flip around a little bit. I don't think they're going to keep, you know, certain teams in one particular arena over the other. So I just don't know if there's going to be enough to keep people, uh, you know, there consistently to get a feel for that, which does bring up an interesting thought that you, you say with that. And maybe it's different because Syracuse's permanent facility is the carrier dome. Maybe it's set up a little bit different, but I, I wonder if there's any type of correlation to them playing better in a football stadium because they're normally doing that. I'm not sure how much of an advantage it will be simply because of the fact, like you said, Corbin, there's a chance that these teams will be going back and forth in terms of the different venues and court settings that they'll be playing on, you know, uh, on a, on a per game basis. But the way that I want to answer this question is, is I absolutely hate playing these games in football type stadiums. You know, everybody, it affects everybody. Everybody has to deal with it. It's, you know, except for teams like Syracuse and maybe a handful of others, you know, teams aren't used to playing in front of, you know, 50, 60, 70, or like it was at Cowboy Stadium, a hundred thousand foot, you know, seat stadium. So um, you, you play, you play your entire regular season in a basketball type arena in the biggest moment of the entire season when teams are competing for a national championship, why are you changing the overall setting and asking these teams to play in a completely different type of setting, which I know that it's all about money. It's all about TV sponsorships ratings. I know that that's, that's the drive. That's what it is every single year. But that's one thing that I wish that we would kind of cut out of college basketball, you know, maybe instead of having these, these games that are played at like an AT&T stadium, you know, let's, let's set up six or eight, you know, d different, you know, type settings. Let's play at Cameron Indoor. Let's play some games at Fog Allen. Play where, you know, like where Butler is, where Indiana plays. Um, let's kind of dial it down a little bit, play in the more traditional basketball arena type settings. Um, and, and I think that, you know, hopefully that'll give us the best brand of basketball because, you know, playing in playing in a, uh, a stadium like where the Colts play, I, I don't think that there's any, you know, you can't argue the fact that that's not going to be a disadvantage to at least a handful of teams because it is a different type of shooting. Obviously, you've got a backdrop, you know, five, six hundred feet behind it. 
uh, of open space. So we'll see how that plays out. But moving forward, I definitely want to see uh, see the NCAA go away from playing in these larger type venues. Yeah, and maybe it'll be different since there's going to be two courts on the field versus just one. So maybe that will help. They'll be a little closer to the stands, and it won't be nearly as big of a deal as it normally is. I wonder yeah. how I wonder how the the refs like how how that's going to affect. Like obviously, I think that there's a huge curtain split down the middle. But when you've got you know eight or ten officials going on at the same time, um, whistles does that go into effect? You know how how different is that going to be uh, in a COVID year where everything's been different from start to finish? And I do wonder. I don't know for sure if they're going to one quarter or not for the the final four and championship games. I, I don't know what the plan is there. Um, but guys, like I mean. Back in 2015, we obviously, OU basketball went up to Syracuse. Uh, we played in the Cary Dome versus Michigan State. I was there for the Final Four down in Houston, the NRG Stadium. It, it's different. It is different. Um, you cannot downplay the fact. And I've heard NRG is worse than a lot of the other football stadiums. But that's, that's a factor. And so you just – yeah, you can't help but to wonder for some of the teams maybe necessarily that are guard-driven, not necessarily post-driven, because I don't think that plays as much of, of a factor. But you look at a team like Baylor, guard-driven, a one seed, if they get into that position where they're going up against a Illinois or another team that has played multiple games in Lucas Oil Stadium and Baylor hasn't, I think that's a factor. Um, so it'll be interesting to kind of see how that plays out. Adam, I think you're right. I don't think we know round in round out exactly who's playing where all i can see right now on the the, um ncaa website is just the the first round games and who's playing where so it'll be interesting to see if they rotate that fairly if you start to see a trend of a certain team that is making a run in the tournament always playing in lucas oil stadium does that have benefits um it'll be interesting to see how that plays out but because i think that is important i would like to think the ncaa does as well but you know it's the ncaa so I'm not sure what to expect. Well, I think that proves the point on your argument, Corbin, talking about OU's, you know, final four game against Villanova, where it, it's going it, it could impact one team, but not impact the other. I mean, OU was, uh, I mean, we'd obviously have to go back and look at the statistics, but I would say that that year OU and Villanova were probably both top five in terms of shooting percentages. OU could make a damn thing. Villanova could miss. So um, that, that's definitely going to be one thing to watch. Uh, maybe this is a uh, lower scoring NCAA tournament because you've got the different changes in venues, different court setups, but that'll be uh, definitely a good storyline to follow. Uh, but, but guys, let's, let's, uh, let's look at each of our own brackets here. We both, we, all three of us, we submitted one. Um, I, I think the easiest thing to do, let's just start in one particular region, maybe talk about a team that excites you, maybe one that's maybe a Cinderella-type story, maybe a sleeper-type pick. Um, but where do you guys want to start? West. Start out west. Okay, okay. So, Adam, <laughs> starting with you, man, why is out here in the West region, tell us why you're confident in Oklahoma making it to the Final Four. Because I'm incredibly biased, um, and that's really the only reason I can think <laughs> of that. I would consider OU to make the final four. I mean, I guess you could say, you know, there's been a time where OU was incredibly hot and they could beat pretty much anybody out there that was on their schedule. But I have no reason to believe that that could happen again, especially down a man. And if just looking at this bracket on on the West there, not a ton of teams that I'm super confident in, but it is going to be the weakest bracket because it has the number one seed in Gonzaga. And every single stat you seem to look at, um, you know, offensive efficiency, scoring, um, you know, Gonzaga leads and, and or is top 10 in a, so many of those categories, even something that seems simple, like number of games played, I think probably helps their odds of, of getting to the finals here because they haven't had nearly as many interruptions. Maybe it means they're due for that. I guess that's my best argument there is COVID disruption <laughs> for OU. I, I don't know. I don't see any other path. Yeah, I think I think COVID Gonzaga getting COVID is probably the only chance that OU has uh, to make it to the Sweet 16, and I'm not betting on that. So, Corbin, same question to you, man. What uh, what, what are a couple of different teams? What kind of sticks out to you looking at this West region? Yeah, Gonzaga is the the storyline there um, in a sense that is 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 different than I first realized. I didn't realize Gonzaga has already beaten the number two, three, and four seed within their region. Did not realize that at the front. Here's here's where I'm, I'm I'm curious to how this plays out because they beat KU by 12, they beat Iowa by 11, they beat Virginia by 23. No games that were overly close down to the wild, down to the wire. 
nail biters. But guys, everybody I'm listening to on the radio, on the internet is saying like, oh, Gonzaga's already beaten this team. They're going to beat them again. We've already seen this. Why do we match up this way? Since when is beating a team twice ever easier than beating a team the first time around? And the reason I, in my honest opinion, and this is strictly opinion, the reason Gonzaga has had issues getting over that hump and actually winning a national title over the past 15 years, give them all the credit in the world for scheduling a really tough non-conference, but then their, their conference doesn't make them any better. And every other team's conference, you look at Big 12, Big 10, ACC, those are all substantially better than what Gonzaga is playing in. All of those teams, maybe outside of um, Virginia, which is going to have a hell of a time with all the COVID stuff that they're dealing with leading into the tournament, but all of those teams have gotten better over the year. So I don't know why Gonzaga is necessarily getting a free pass. I will asterisk all of this stuff by saying that I have Gonzaga in my title game, but I do think this isn't quite as easy as everybody's like, oh, Gonzaga's beaten a team before. They're going to beat them again. As far as my my sleeper for that region, I really like USC. I don't know why. I haven't watched them at all this year, but I do know that they were tied for the regular season championship in the Pac-12. I think they got bounced in the semifinals, and I love taking semifinal teams that lost in their conference championship far in the, the NCAA tournament. Um, I think they're super long. They're very athletic. I have them right now. Still have time to adjust, but right now I've got them beating KU in the Sweet 16 uh, before losing to Iowa uh, for a chance to uh, go to uh, the Elite Eight. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of right there on, on point with you. Um, when looking at each of the four regionals, four number one seeds, just like how it should be after the performance during the regular season, Gonzaga's got the easiest road to the Final Four out of any of the four teams. So, um, and again, you mentioned, you know, they've beaten, I think it was, what, three of the teams that are in this region already. There's one thing that could give me a little bit of a, you know, cause for concern when talking about Gonzaga being able to, you know, make a run all the way to the Final Four, and that's pressure. Um, looking at their conference schedule, I mean, it's it's impressive. No matter who you're playing, it is impressive to go 26 and 0. You got to show up night in and night out. It's it's Division One basketball. Any can anybody can beat you on any given day. But when you look at some of these other teams that are that are in the region, look at a team like Virginia, look at a team like Creighton, USC, Oregon, and Iowa are both really good basketball teams. Those are teams that have played elite competition all year long they've been in those dogfights those close pressure pack games where you know it's a two-point game with a minute and a half left what's Gonzaga going to do when they find themselves in a bit of a dogfight a close competitive game late in the second half um, I think that that's definitely going to be one thing to keep an eye on my sleeper team in this region I'm not I, I like USC in this one I've got them going to the sweet, sweet 16 as well uh, Corbin but keep an eye on Creighton in this region, a you know, just like Wichita State, just like Gonzaga, that's a basketball school that, you know, they play good, solid, fundamental basketball every single year. I've got them going to the Sweet 16 as well, um, ultimately losing to Gonzaga, but I think that that could be a competitive game. Now, of course, I could be completely wrong. Creighton gets bounced in the first game in the 5-12 matchup, but um, still, I, I think this is Gonzaga's region uh, to, to kind of run away with, but uh, they're going to have to earn it because there's some really good basketball teams that are going to be lining up against them over the course of the next two to three weeks. I have Creighton losing in the first round. So. <laughs> that's the beauty of this tournament. That's no, nobody really knows. So that, that that's the best part about it. So let's let's move down uh, down to the uh, east part of this bracket. Obviously, Michigan is the number one seed. So, um, uh, Adam, we started with you. Corbin, we'll go back to you on this one. Uh, what stands out to you about the east region? Uh, this is the man's man region. Uh no doubt in my mind, this is the, the toughest region there is. Uh, you've got Michigan, obviously, is the number one seed. The ACC runner-up with Florida State. The Big East uh, tournament champion with Georgetown. The Big 12 tournament champion with Texas. The SEC regular season and tournament champion with Alabama. Guys, what the hell? Like, that is brutal. And I have no idea who's going to come out of that. And honestly, by the time somebody comes out of that gauntlet, I, what do they have to give to to play Gonzaga? Most likely, you know, when it comes to a chance to go the to uh, uh, the national championship game. So, I have no clue what to expect out of the the um, South region. Um, I think right now I've got Florida State actually as as coming out of that. 
I have no idea why. I think you can make an argument for Michigan. You can make an argument for Texas. You can make an argument for Alabama. I'd probably be with you 100% on any of those options. Um, my sleeper in the East is LSU. Um, that's one to watch. Michigan is not at full strength. One of their key players is out. I don't know when he could be back. They're saying potentially by the time they get to the Final Four, if they get there, as soon as he could be back. I don't remember his name off the top of my head. But LSU can shoot the crap out of the basketball. And if they get hot, they need to get by the Bonnies of St. Bonaventure in the first round. That's going to be really tough. But guys, in, in that region, don't be surprised if LSU goes in and upsets Michigan from the start and just throws everything on edge. I've got St. Bonaventure upsetting LSU in, in the first game. So I can we'll, see it. That's how that region is. But you're exactly right. I mean, this is, you know, this is the best of the best in terms of the, the East region. There's some, some really good basketball teams, some conference champions, some conference runner-ups uh, in this division as well. In, in terms of a sleeper team, I hate calling this team a sleeper team just because this, to me, this is one of the blue, bu- blue bloods of college basketball. They've been down all year. Adam, I think that you're – kind of in the same line of thinking as, as this right here. But I've got Michigan State winning a couple games. Not just the game tonight, the, the playing game against UCLA, but that puts them in a matchup against BYU. The reason why I'm somewhat confident in that is because I, I've, I've been burned on it one too many times. You don't go against Tom Izzo in the month of March. He's too good of a coach. It's all about matchups, Corbin, that's your saying. Um, and in a, in a matchup against BYU, I like Michigan State's guards, and I, I think that they'll be a little bit more athletic. And in terms of the coaching matchup, that's that uh, that scale tips very heavily in Tom Izzo's favor. So I won't give away my final four pick, but I do not have the number one seed coming out of this region uh, in the final four. So, Adam, what do you think, man? Yeah, this this one is very tough. I could easily see LSU knocking Michigan out in that second round there. And so uh, but for me, I got to agree with Tyler. The Michigan State Spartans presented by Rocket Mortgage are really great. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and I mean, they've beaten some good teams, Michigan, uh, Illinois, Ohio State, um, one seeds, two seeds. So uh, they definitely have the talent. They've got the coaching. They've got the experienced uh, coach, you know, and they've been here, done that before. So I I like their odds to contribute uh, and and get pretty far. Um, So, yeah. but yeah, I, this is a tough, tough uh, bracket down here in the east. Corbin, lead us into the south. This is uh, this is another good one that I think there's kind of some uh, some under the radar teams that are making up this region. Yeah, south. Um, you know, I still do like Baylor. We'll see if if the down the stretch Baylor can 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 improve. Um, I, I think Baylor is a team that is either going to get bounced super early or they're going to end up in the final four. And here's why Baylor's weakness is on the inside and you're staring down a matchup with a blue blood of North Carolina that I think has three or four guys that are seven feet or taller. If they can get past Wisconsin in the first round, which I don't think is a given, they could give Baylor all kinds of issues. And then after that, you're probably looking at another big team and Purdue to an opportunity there to get into the elite eight. So Baylor doesn't necessarily have the easiest path. I don't think it's as easy as Gonzaga. I don't think it's as tough as Michigan, Um, but the matchups there matchups really tough for the Baylor bears. So I would be very nervous. I think if Baylor can get past North Carolina, if they, you know, get to that point, I think Baylor's got a, a great opportunity there to go to the final four. Um, looking at kind of the bottom half of that bracket, Texas Tech and Arkansas. I mean, guys, either one of those teams could end up in the Final Four, in my opinion. Um, and that was a brutal game for me to pick. So, again, this one, it, a little all over the place for me. Um, as far as the the sleeper, I, I've got Tech. And I, I have Tech losing to Arkansas, but it wouldn't shock me at all if they, if they show up there against Baylor um, and for an all Big 12 matchup to head into the Final Four because that team's got experience. And the last time we had a tournament, Texas Tech was playing in the national championship. So that that region's is is tough as well. But uh, but I still like I still like Baylor to come out of it. I hated to do it, but I've got Utah State knocking off the the Red Raiders in this game. 
I, I don't know why Chris Beard, you know, he's a fantastic coach. Um, Tex Tex has been a pretty consistent program over the last two to three years. So hate going against them, but I like Utah State. I like the way they shoot the basketball. They're a really good defensive team. So maybe they catch Texas Tech on an off day and uh, we get an upset uh, right there in that 6-11 matchup. Uh, as far as Baylor goes, like you said, if it's the Baylor team that started the year off the pre-COVID affecting that team down in Waco, I think the Baylor, it's – it's a somewhat easy path if they can get by North Carolina in the in that second round matchup, um, but for me, the, the fun in this in this region is down at the bottom part of the bracket. Um, I don't know if if it's right to call a three seed a sleeper, but for me, how about Arkansas? They opened the season thirteen and five in the middle of the pack in the SEC. Then they went on to win nine straight games. So this team has the goods. They have all the you know they have exactly what makes up a good you know late tournament team. Uh, come March. So I like Arkansas in this game. I don't know if I'm quite ready uh, to put them above Baylor. We'll talk about that here in, uh, in a little bit when we give our final four picks. But um, keep an eye on Arkansas and Virginia Tech in this one. I know the ACC has been a little bit down this year, um, but I, I like Virginia Tech as kind of a sleeper in the 10 seed. Um, don't be surprised if they make some noise, uh, especially against Ohio State in that second round matchup. I'm right there with you on Baylor. I don't know how to pick where they're going to fall in this tournament. Uh, just because, you know, they're a resilient team built around uh, experience and defense, and they don't, don't necessarily have one guy that's, you know, their big time elite scorer that's going to carry a team through a tournament situation. So I could see them going really far or going out really early, just like Corbin said. Uh, for me, Tech is that same. Uh, I have them as my sleeper team as well, just like you, Corbin. And I like what Chris Beard can can do with the team. We have to remember the last time we had a national championship game, Texas Tech was there playing in it, even though it was about two years ago. So um, like what they can do there. Um, and so, yeah, overall, um, this one, this bracket's just kind of kind of meh for me. I mean, there's some good teams. Uh, there's some blue bloods like UNC. They're a little bit underrated or underseated compared to where they normally are. So, you know, they've got talent. So this one could get a little wacky and wild. I have one question that I want to throw to you guys before we move down to the fourth and final uh, region in the Midwest. But uh, going back to college football, particularly in the bowl season, you know, we always talk about do you root for your conference? You know, do you root for Texas? Do you root for Oklahoma State? You know, uh, the almighty Big 12, you know, take it to the other conferences. How do do you guys feel about that in terms of the, the NCAA tournament? I mean, even though we obviously have a hatred for Texas and Oklahoma State, do we want the Big 12 to do well in this? Do you want to see Texas or OSU in a Final Four? So just kind of what are your guys' thoughts on that since we're not, you know, we're, we're not as passionate about, uh, about this compared to college football? In my eyes, I think it matters a lot less about your conference doing well in this tournament because that's not what people are super focused on uh, because there's so many games that can, you know, be totally not front of mind. That being said, I never root for Texas and I never root for OSU in any situation. So, no. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, think, I think it does matter. I'll, I'll be rooting for all the Big 12 teams. I'm going to take it a step further. I'm going to be rooting for another Oklahoma team not in the Big 12 conference. Go ORU Golden Eagles. Come on, make, make things weird, all right? They stand zero chance of beating Ohio State, but ORU actually has – the leading scorer in the nation, and Max Abmus, I hope I'm saying that correctly, averaging 24.2 points a game. He's had multiple games of 40. Guys, I would love it to get weird and ORU do something crazy and beat Ohio State. I don't think it's ever going to happen, but how many times have we seen a powerhouse scorer just 100% take over a game in situations like this? Let's get weird. Let's go blue and gold. Uh, and uh, yeah, let's get some some Golden Eagle action uh, against the Buckeyes. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 takes us down to to the Midwest region, uh, which uh, again has a has a lot of teams, especially that we're all familiar with, close to home in the Big Twelve Conference. I think that this is going to be a fun one to watch. Uh, th- this region, the one seed Illinois, probably the hottest team in America right now, outside of Gonzaga. They really kind of hit their stride. Uh, in winning the Big Ten Championship just a, just a week ago. So um, to me, I think that this is a cakewalk for Illinois if they play their best basketball. Um, I'm very, very excited to see what Oklahoma State is going to be able to do. We always talk about, 
you know, the, the, we always talk about how elite, you know, the, the star players, you know, there are, are they made for this moment in the NCAA tournament where all eyes are on them? So how's Kay Cunningham going to handle, you know, the expectations um, under the brightest lights in college basketball? That's going to be a fun one to watch. Um, Liberty, Adam, um, the, I've been hearing a lot of people uh, talking about how Liberty has the firepower on offense to be able to, you know, not just score, uh, with, with Oklahoma State, but maybe make things a little bit difficult for Kate Cunningham with some of the guys that they've got uh, on the defensive end. So in terms of a sleeper team for me, I like San Diego State in this region. I've got them winning the first game against Syracuse. That's a tough one, but uh, the, the San Diego State playing West Virginia in the in the second game, that all depends about which West Virginia team is going to show up. If they can make shots, we all know about their press. We all know about you know wreaking havoc on the defensive end. If West Virginia makes shots, it's going to be extremely tough, difficult for San Diego State to, to win that basketball game. But who knows? If they catch West Virginia on a bad day, I could easily see San Diego State making it into the Sweet 16. And then, obviously, um, some ties back to OU. Kelvin Sampson in Houston, kind of a team that's been flying under the radar this year, maybe not getting as much national attention as what they deserve. You know, I'm guilty of that also. I've only watched them maybe two, three times. Really good, really athletic basketball team, guard-driven. They can make shots from the perimeter. Um, I am I cannot wait for this region, particularly because of Illinois, Oklahoma State, uh, and a team like Houston. So, Adam, Adam, what do you got for this? Yeah, my national champion uh, does come out of this bracket. So the number 13 Liberty flames are not that team, but (laughs) they, uh, they will have my attention, especially being Oklahoma state. I would love for uh, Liberty to pull that off just so I could do some, some trash talking locally here, but I think they're going to have their hands full with Kate Cunningham. He seems like a guy that could absolutely drag uh, that Oklahoma state team to some, some pretty uh, far, uh, you know, wins here in the tournament. And that's not discrediting any of the other players that they have there. They've got some guys up in Stillwater, um, but he's, he's just, I mean, there's a reason he's going to be the number one pick in the NBA draft. Now Liberty does have uh, a really electric five foot nine point guard, a son player of the year, Darius McGee. He hits some long range bombs and he is uh, slithery in the lanes. So um, he might, he has the makings of a type of guy that will, you know, if Liberty can win that game nationally, people will be talking about him, but it's going to be tough with, with Cunningham. Uh, Liberty's really going to have to get out to a lead probably and hold on to that. Um, San Diego state was my, my sleeper in this bracket as well. I think they're on a pretty good uh, winning streak. So that's really the only reason I picked them out of the three of us. I watched the least amount of college basketball. So that probably means my bracket will be the best, but my, my guesses are the least educated. Yeah, guys, uh, biggest takeaway from this, honestly, the entire bracket is how screwed Oklahoma State got with their seeding. It is an absolute joke that they are a four seed in this bracket when they beat West Virginia twice in the year. They went two and one against West Virginia, and they were playing so much better down the stretch than the Mountaineers. That is laughable that Oklahoma State was a four seed at all. Nonetheless, in the same bracket, the West Virginia was a three. Um, with With that said... Uh, Liberty, Tennessee, Illinois, ruthless of a path for the pokes to get to the final four. Uh, even, even the elite eight, that's really tough. Uh, as good as Cade Cunningham has been throughout the year, he's going to have to show us something he hasn't shown us so far in order to get through that gauntlet. Uh, I will say, I do think Houston probably has just as, I won't say easy, but just as, easy of a path to get to the elite eight as Gonzaga does. That is not a difficult route. You think they're probably going to be, you know, Cleveland. Uh, I don't see anything between Clemson and Rutgers that is going to challenge Houston at all. And then you're probably getting a West Virginia. If West Virginia is playing well, I don't think Houston's going to beat Illinois, but, um, but yeah, guys, my, my sleeper of that, I'm on the same page as both of you. I'm not going to necessarily say it's San Diego State, but I think the winner of San Diego State and Syracuse, either one of those teams could make a run. Um, San Diego State, Adam, 14 in a row, uh, a specific number of, of a winning streak. That's a lot. And I do think Syracuse has been playing well down the stretch. And very similar to what I mentioned in the last region, anytime you can have a guy that takes over the game on the scoring capacity like Buddy Beheim can, you got a shot. Um, and so I think I think Syracuse has a chance there. That'll be such an interesting matchup. Probably of, of all of the stylistic matchups that happening in round one, 
San Diego State and Syracuse is probably the most intriguing to me because San Diego mm-hmm. State can shoot the three ball. Syracuse is going to be in that zone. Mm-hmm. Which one's going to come out on top? It's going to be really interesting. But either one of those teams can absolutely beat West Virginia in the second round. So we'll see how it goes. I'm just scrolling through Twitter here, and I see a guy submitted a bracket. He's got Oklahoma beating Michigan State in the Final Four and then knocking <laughs> off Illinois for OU to win the national championship. So you, He you, wants that free Sooner Scoop subscription. You That's got, the only, <laughs> exactly. Only well, one thing, one last thing that I will say uh, about West Virginia, kind of what's been the bread and butter for for this team over the last four or five years. If they obviously, when, when you get in the NCAA tournament, everything's broken up into two game series. You know, you've got to win the you've got to win the the first two games to get to the Sweet Sixteen. You got to win two more to get to the Final Four. One of the things that's been really good about West Virginia is if they can find a way to win the first game, because it's such a quick turnaround. A lot of those teams don't really have the time to prepare for the press and the pressure that West Virginia can put on them defensively. So if West Virginia can figure out a way to get to the Sweet 16, you give Houston, you know, a couple, you know, maybe two, three, four days worth of practice to prepare for that. Um, massive advantage for Kelvin Sampson's team. So, guys, let's let's dive into our final four picks here, who we think is going to win the national championship. So, Adam, starting with you, you can go all the way far back as to Elite Eight, Sweet 16, however you want to do it. Uh, show me the path to the national championship game and give me your pick on who's going to win it. Yeah, I've got uh, Gonzaga matching up with Bama on the left side of the bracket. Uh, really just sticking with Gonzaga because there's a reason they're the top overall seed, all the work that they've done this year. Of course, that being said, it seems like every year the top seed never actually wins the whole thing. So who knows where they might trip up if they do. Uh, and then with Bama, I love the ball movement and the speed that they play with, the ability to hit the outside shot. So I've got them uh, down there coming out of the east. On the other side, I've got Baylor and Illinois. Uh, love what Illinois has with their guard play. And so that'll be an interesting matchup with Baylor, a really solid defensive team. Um, but in the end, I've got Gonzaga and Illinois in the championship. And just to be a little different, I'll take Illinois. Similar in a lot of ways. Um, I've got uh, I've got Gonzaga coming out of the West. I've got Baylor coming out of the South. I've got Illinois coming out of the Midwest. I hate that I have three one seeds in the Final Four. Hate it. Um, I may make some adjustments along the way, but I, I'm probably going to stick with with those um, in the Final Four. And I, I've got Florida State coming out of the East. Ooh, and I think ooh, ooh. I think you could I think you could make an argument for any of those top four seeds at least, and then probably a couple others, um, you know, that could make it out of that region. So, so yeah, I've got uh, Gonzaga, Florida State, Baylor, Illinois, Gonzaga, Illinois for the final. And I've got Illinois winning national champion uh, championship. I don't feel great about it because that's a lot of freaking wins in a row to end the year. I don't like picking a conference champion this late in the season uh, to win a national title, but goodness, tell me who's playing better than them. It's it's hard not to pick Illinois. So I've got Illinois 72-69 over Gonzaga for the title. I will say, Corbin, that is going to be a heavy toll in pretty much any other year, but Illinois had a short trip to Indianapolis, and if they continue to win, they don't have to travel two more times to get to the championship game. True. So that's going to be a little easier if they're able to make it that far. Before I give my uh, things here, I, I want to talk about Texas and OSU, and I want to I want you guys to to tell me how far you have both of these two teams. I've got Texas losing in the Sweet 16, and I've got Oklahoma State losing the Sweet 16. Also, you guys have either one of those teams getting tripped up beforehand, going any further? Um, what What are you guys thoughts about the uh, the probably the two uh, best uh, non Baylor teams uh, in the Big 12? Yeah, I've got I've got Texas losing to Alabama. Uh, in the Sweet 16, and I have Oklahoma State losing to Illinois. Um, and and Cade Cunningham could 100% go off and will a team to victory. I have no doubt that's the case. But based on what I've seen from Illinois over the past week, I, I can't not pick them to win every game. I can't. Yeah, I've got OSU and Illinois uh, in the Sweet 16, and then I've got Texas getting bounced in the second round by Michigan State. Um, I actually think one of the better odds for a big 12 team is Kansas. I've got them in the elite eight going out against Gonzaga. Nice guys. I'll, let me ask you this because before you get to your picks, Tyler, what has made this bracket so difficult this year is typically you can identify early upsets in the tournament 
but rarely have some of them been so obvious to pick. And it's screwing with my freaking mind because I want to pick some of these upsets early on that make sense. But because everybody's saying upset, 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 I want to go the other way um, because that's typically how things play out. So there's a lot of these early games where I'm like, I'd love to pick the underdog. I'd love to pick Michigan State, Blue Blood, Tom Izzo, but everybody's saying that I can't I can't do it. This has been the, probably one of the hardest brackets in terms of picking because when I look down the list of especially the first round games, it's chalk for the most part. I have maybe two, three, uh, you know, big what they could, would consider uh, upsets on my bracket. But for me, I think one of the reasons why this is such a hard year to predict is because is because of COVID. I mean, just like just like every other sport, everything else, you know, teams have been impacted by it. They haven't. Some teams haven't played for three or four weeks at a time. Not everybody's played the same amount of games. Some some players or some teams, excuse me got a conference championship they played more basketball here towards the end of the year so there's been so much inconsistency across college basketball as a whole because of COVID, covid's impact on it so I, I i don't know i mean i think it just it just you know leads to an even crazier possibility of just simply not knowing who's going to win these basketball games so adam what do you think i agree i mean i i fully expect you know some team that probably dealt with covid issues uh you know throughout the year and now they're getting their stride and they're cohesive now who knows someone random like a i'm just throwing a name out there like a florida as a seven seed you know goes to the final four because of such a strange year and strange situation and maybe some teams benefit from not playing in a football stadium or they benefit from being you know in a bubble situation i have no idea it i would love to just have something wild happen uh, let's hope it's OU. okay well for my picks um I'm I'm pretty much in the same line of thinking as you guys. I've in in the Elite Eight. I've got Gonzaga and Iowa. Uh, Gonzaga is too good of a basketball team. I've got Gonzaga represent the West uh, in, in the Final Four. Going down to the East region, like I said, Texas has been a popular pick. I've got them getting you know beat by Alabama uh, in the Sweet 16 matchup, setting up a Elite Eight matchup with Florida State and Alabama. I've got Alabama. Um, Alabama's too is too good. I love their guard play. They're the fastest. Uh, most up-tempo playing team in America. They shoot a ton of threes. They play really good defense on that end of the court. So I've got Gonzaga and Alabama on the left side of the bracket with Gonzaga ultimately winning that matchup. Over on the other side, I've got Baylor versus Arkansas in the in the Elite Eight. I I feel like I've changed that three or four times just looking at it. Arkansas's, you know, they're playing extremely well. I don't know what I'm going to get from Scott Drew's team uh, out of Waco, but Again, if if the Baylor team from the beginning of the year, the first ten to fifteen games of the season, if they show up, give me Baylor in the Final Four. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with the Bears representing the South Region. Going down to the Midwest, this one was kind of tough. I tried to honestly, I probably tried to make this tougher than it is, but I've got Illinois knocking off Oklahoma State. I've got Houston beating West Virginia, setting up Kelvin Sampson versus Brad Underwood in the Elite Eight. Illinois is hot right now. I agree with you, Corbin. You know, they've won so many games in a row. Can they keep the streak alive? Uh, but give me Baylor versus Illinois. I've got Illinois playing Gonzaga in the national championship, and I want to pick Illinois so bad simply because of the fact that they are playing the best basketball out of anybody right now. But what's not to like about Gonzaga? I mean, they've got two lottery t- lottery pick talents in Corey Kispert and Jalen Suggs. You know, they're a veteran, guard-driven team. They've got depth and experience at all five positions on the court. And like I said, they're 26-0 for a reason. They've got a cakewalk, I think, in their divi- in their side of the bracket to make it to the NCAA uh, Final Four. So give me Gonzaga knocking off Illinois in a close one uh, for Gonzaga to win the national championship. But I, you can make a case for Illinois. But I think that this is the year where Gonzaga starts starts the year undefeated and they finish undefeated. I, I, yeah, I mean, we all seem to be on the same path there, but so this means means Gonzaga gets bounced game one. Honestly, if there's one game that worries me about Gonzaga, it's it's Iowa. I mean, I love I love teams that lose in the semifinals and of their conference tournament, and that's exactly what Iowa did. They got beat up by Illinois. They have more rest than some of the other conference champions. And they've already lost to Gonzaga once. And it's just like everything in me wants to take Iowa there. And I know I can't because if I lose, I just get trashed in all my bracket groups. But, guys, that's one where I'm like, "Mm, I wonder. Part of me feels like making a comparison between Gonzaga 
and the Lakers simply because of the fact that the Lakers they kind of they they kind of just not sluggishly but they do anything and everything they can to win enough games to ultimately just get me to the postseason. So we've seen Gonzaga playing really good basketball all year long. They're blowing teams out. Are they even playing their best basketball right now simply because they're you know they're they're not playing against elite competition? So can they crank it up to a completely different level? They're probably the most talented team in America uh, from top to bottom. So that's going to be something fun to watch. Um, last question before we get out of here: Out of all the one seeds. Gonzaga versus we'll see who the play. They're all playing playing games, I guess for the most part. Gonzaga, Michigan, Baylor, Illinois. Over under. Oh, I guess tell me how many of these teams win by twenty five plus points in their first game. That's that was a uh, a prop that I saw on the Barstool Sports Playbook. Is how many of these teams? I think it was twenty five points. How many of these teams win by that margin or more? Think two. I got yeah. I think two. I think that's probably safe. One. One of the one or two of these teams is going to come out and they're not going to play well, and they're just going to will themselves into victory because they're that much better than a 16 seed. But that's a lot of freaking points in the NCAA tournament. Considering how little college basketball I watch and how little is known about the 16 seeds, <laughs> this is the absolutely most just random guess out there. Give me all that- four. <laughs> okay. Well, that that's why I thought it was such a hard bet. Like, how do you even gauge that? I mean. I mean, we, we. What about the buzzer beater bet? I'm super curious on what you guys think of that one. One and a Did half guys, is that what it is? You would know it's point five. Oh, give me the over for, for, for opening round. Point point five of buzzer beater. It's got to be. We've didn't we just have so the, one? So there's uh-huh. 32 total games in the first round. Yeah, they're saying point five, like true buzzer beaters, like not like a shot with a second to go, but like. So all you have to have is one. So I yeah, mean, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. But that, that, I mean, that's just like with anything else with Vegas. I mean, they obviously must know something that we don't because that's too easy and too obvious of a pick. But you're telling me that one out of those 32 games isn't going to have some dramatic buzzer beater type inning? But you uh, know, like, they're going to hit a shot and it's going to be like 0.2 seconds to go and it doesn't count. And so, like, that, that's part of this is the buzzer beater that's not really a buzzer beater. That's true. Well, I'm just gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and say Austin Reeves has, hits a buzzer beater to beat Missouri on Saturday. So <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, guys. Anything else? That this was a fun episode. Uh, March Madness is in full effect. We've got playing games underway right now. Um, excited about the UCLA Michigan State matchup kind of coming up, or I guess it's it might have even started. So, uh, guys, anything else before we get out of here? Boomers, oh, guys. All right, yeah, perfect. Well, and like I said, it's it's the it's one of the best times of the year in in sports. So you guys enjoy it this weekend. We'll be talking about it. Uh, but again, appreciate you guys for listening uh, on all of our various platforms: Apple, Spotify. Go online, give us a like, give us a five star review, uh, provide some feedback. Always love listening uh, and hearing what you guys have to say on ways that we can, you know, improve the show. Some new content, some guests. We've got a lot of really cool things coming down the pipeline. Uh, but again, for you know, Corbin, Adam, Tyler, appreciate you guys for listening, and we will see you guys back here again next week on another episode of the Mainline Podcast.